Hello, listeners. I'm Logan McLean, and this is OJT on the Job Training. It's a podcast where I, a journalism student, practice my craft by interviewing passionate people about their projects. Declan Rockwell is back for part two. Today, the 17-year-old singer-songwriter continues his journey through the PEI foster system. We talk about who he met in foster care, his experiences around drugs and crime, and what he learned along the way. Tell me a bit about how uh, it got to this point. Um, how did you end up going into the foster system? Was there a particular event that happened? Or uh, was it just kind of a downward spiral? Like... Bobby and Denise noticed that my dad was <clears throat> drinking a lot, right? He was working at the credit union place. He got laid off, so that was more time on his hands. So he was unemployed, on EI, worst of the worst, you know? And um, another man, Freddie Martin. Uh, Bobby and Denise and Freddie realized that things weren't going the best, right? The the time where I looked at my dad dead in the end, I'm like, you need to get help. This is bad. The cops were at the door, you know. My, like, Freddie was, came to the house at 4 p.m. that day. I woke up the next morning and he was still there. He did not let my dad, um... Make he didn't he didn't leave because he knew that this was for the best, and if Freddie left, this wouldn't be a thing. We wouldn't be talking. I don't think I'd be alive. I don't not because of my dad, but because of the struggle. So he'd like stay and talk to your dad. Do you mean or he stayed and talked? He didn't leave. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and I'm very thankful for that. I put my hand on my dad's lap and I'm like, "Go get help," because you need to. And he did. You know, we moved from Alberton to Kinkora, to Sherwood, to Muskush in four years. And we, and then we went back home. And it was very, <clears throat> the time where, because our last foster home, we were there for a year and a half. And that was a very good foster home. It was, very good, it was a good foster home. Like the best out of the four, I should say. And we, um, we thought we were going to be legally adopted by this lady. I'll keep my name out of it because we've had our following year process. <clears throat> but um, we thought we were going to be legally adopted. And we um, we eventually had to go to court. And we miraculously won by a point of, um, you can, the judge looked at my father and said, you deserve to have your kids. What? Because they were cutting contact off with my father. They wouldn't let me speak to him. They wouldn't let me call him. They blocked his number on landline phones. Like the adopt the foster family, or the like families. All of them. How long? How many years was this? Four years. First two years we could talk to him. We had a visit still, but it was very abrupt. Very abrupt. And then we'd come over for weekends and stuff like that. And it just edged back into the whole staying home for good. <clears throat> and I'm very thankful that my dad is that strong, you know, because it's a very hard addiction to kick, you know? Mm-hmm. So we, um, so yeah, from there to here, a very big difference. And uh, everywhere in between is definitely, uh, definitely worth mentioning. Yeah. What was it like coming back to normal life and how long did it take to feel like normal life? Did normal it? life. Yeah. Like as soon as I said that, I was like, that's not the right word normal at all. Normal life. 
Well, I'll put it to you this way. The foster care system, I don't know if they were mad. I don't know if they were just very conscientious, but they would not leave us alone for the first year and a half. They would go to our door to the point where we had to get legal, like we had to get lawyers involved. Like they try and come into our house without search warrants. So who was this, police or social workers? Social workers to, you know, inspect the house if there's any bottles, if there's any, you know, the norm. And um, we did not, we did not like it. It was an invasion of our privacy. Mm -hmm. Our family was very fragile. And seeing the police and seeing the social workers that fought so hard to keep us out of the home on our doorstep was very, very scary. To the point where it was like six in the morning. I'm downstairs getting ready to go to a cadet camp. I was in the air cadets for like four years. And um, bus left at like eight. So I had to be gone by 630. I see your car, car pulling. I'm like, okay, that's my, that's, my, that's my ride. No, it's not. It's the foster care system. I'm in like full uniform. I come to the door. And I'm like, may I help you? New social worker, like every time. It's like, my name's blah, 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 Kathy Jones or whatever. And that's not her name. Um, <laughs> And she's like, um, I'm here to inspect. I'm like, what do you mean inspect? It's like, I'm here, I'm here with Child Protective Services. Looks at my dad. My dad sleeps on the couch, by the way. So she looks at the front door and it's like, what's going on, what's going on with them? I'm like, well, most people sleep at six in the morning on a Saturday. And she's like, is he sober? I'm like, what? What's it to you? Honestly, like, I'm fine. I'm safe. I'll wake my brother up and keep you're him down. You're wearing here. a uniform yeah. at six in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good indication yeah. you're doing all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm out here trying to, you know, live my best life here, lady, and you're doing this shit. <laughs> and um, she's like, well, uh, I'll get a search warrant. I'm like, no, you fucking won't. <laughs> so I'm like, I'll call my lawyer. You know, I don't really want to do that. I'm going to ask you nicely. Please leave. If you give me a number, my father can call you. And um, we can arrange a time to... You can come by and all this shit. But you're just going to look like an idiot. And every time they come by, they look like idiots. And it was very... And it was just funny. It was really funny. And now, there was one foster uh, CPS worker... God, I, I haven't seen her in years. Her name is Melissa. And if she's if she's listening to this or if somebody's listening to this, I'm very thankful for her work. Because she, she is the reason why my father got help, and she's also the reason why I got to see my father. She was our drives. She was our one-on-ones. Because it's like, it's a very big culture shock. Coming back home... Uh, we'll actually go back to the question you asked me. Uh, coming back home was a very long process, you know, moving clothes and moving shit. And we, I didn't feel at home until a year after. And we got home on Thanksgiving Day, and it was the next Thanksgiving when I realized this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I got to get my shit together for real. And I'm going to do it. And. I might not be the best person in the world, but I'm going to be an inspiration to people. At that moment, I felt like I knew what I was going to do. I was going to be an inspiration. I was going to be a musician. 
I was going to be a good brother. I was going to be a good son. And I was going to be a good friend to people. And I just realized I had so much negative in my life. I needed to transition. I needed to change. And I'm very happy by coming home. We I, That situation arose. It's very funny because you could be at the bottom of your point in life. And it could bring the greatest out of you. Because you have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You have you can you can mess up all you want. You have nothing to lose, and um, I had nothing to lose, and I um, I got to the point where now I have everything to lose, and yeah, so that was a very very hard transition. But um, I'm very thankful that the transition was hard. You said you had to get your shit together. What? Where was your shit that it wasn't together? Um, <laughs> I was very. Very mentally unstable. <laughs> and this is what age? Uh, like 13. Mm-hmm. And then it really didn't stop until I was like 15. Like when I really stopped getting into the wrong crowds and shit like that. But um, yeah, from like 10 to 15, I was mentally all over the place. You know, I didn't want to live. I, I didn't want to. I wanted to indulge in things that I shouldn't have. Like what? Um... People who did really hard drugs, like cocaine, speed, meth, all this shit, man. And it was terrible. And weed. I fell under the cusp of it a couple of times, I will not lie. But like, you only ever smoked pot, right? That was Yeah, pot, thing. really. Yeah. And you managed I, to stay away from the rest of it. Yeah, I did. But you were around a lot of people doing that stuff. I was around a lot of people. I was the I was the sober sober guy who would always I was essentially the guy who would remember this shit. Uh-huh. And everybody hates that guy. <laughs> yeah, well no, I feel I feel like that's the worst part. Cuz you know, you could have a Xanax bar and you could be the guy who is watching him overdose and you can't do anything about it because if you touch him what are you going to do? You're 11 years old, Declan. Yeah. And it was it was traumatizing, but like I said, mental shit that you can get over and I thank God for it every day but anyway yeah so it was a lot of drugs and it was a lot of like illegal shit like we'd break into stuff and we'd break stuff and we'd are these people older than you? yeah most of them were older than me none of them were younger yeah how did you become friends with well I was in the third grade they were in the sixth grade what school was this? This was Alberton when I first realized that, hey, these guys are cool. They're smoking cigarettes in the school parking lot. They let grade six students smoke in the parking lot? Well, no. I guess they wouldn't let Who them. Who smoked in the parking lot was their older brothers. Uh-huh. And I was like, man, that's rad. And I'd lie, and I'd be like, yeah, I smoke, man. I smoke. I'd be like, really? You should try one. I'm like, no, I'm trying to quit, though. I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to quit. You know, I, I, I smoke like half seas every day. I already got my half. In. <laughs> I shouldn't be doing it. But I, um, no, I'd listen to Nirvana. Wish I bleached my hair and I'd just fuck shit up. I learned how to skateboard at that time. I still suck. I can't ollie still. And, um, <laughs> but I will, I can remember when I was in like this grungy basement it was finished but it was like half finished so it was like concrete and then that's like this nice polished wood wall 
So it's like you couldn't have just put a floor in. You had to get this nice pine up on the wall. Yeah. But um, and I'm like, yo, what's that pipe? And he's like, I thought he was gonna say weed. And he's like, it's a crack pipe. I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? And he smoked it, and he was like, way more high than I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, that doesn't smell like weed. It smells like rubber and burning tar and it was like oh my god and um <laughs> i can remember it was probably pretty off-putting eh? oh my god it was awesome i thought it was cool oh yeah i thought it was cool man then i realized that people died from it yeah so why didn't you try it then because it sounds like you were leaning that direction because he wouldn't let me <laughs> really yeah he was an he was an addict uh, i guess that's addict. true yeah that's that's addict. not the sharing drug it's not mm. like here hit my joint yeah here smoke some meth with me kid no but i can remember like i would like look around and be like oh my god these guys are higher than mine but they're my drive home <laughs> they're my drive home that is not a fun I'm moment the only i'm the only sober guy I have to stay here for the night. I'm going to miss school. Yeah. It's going to be terrible. You could have sat in the phone book and seen over the steering wheel. I've been driving illegally since I was 13, but hey, I stopped that. There you go. <laughs> I stopped that at 15. Anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, oof. it was very, the scene was like, wow. But no, man, uh, it was very, it was very hard to see that, especially at the age that I was at. And I, um, and I was like, should I do it? No. And I'm very thankful I said no. But um, I, I've smoked weed maybe three times. After the third time, like third time in that scene. After the third time, I had a massive panic attack. Like, I've, I've had them after that, but I haven't done that since. That was like two years ago, man. And I had a, um, I had a mass panic attack. I was like 12. And I was like shaking on the ground. Like it, like my my heart started doing like a Slipknot drum solo. Like it was like, mm -hmm. it was crazy. Felt like you were gonna die, probably. It did, and I went to sleep, and I thought I died, and then I woke up, and it was just it was just bright light, man. I'm like, I'm dead, I'm in heaven. Let's go. Nope, you're in the hospital. <laughs> you are in the hospital, and I um was like, wow, that's weird. Why'd you end up in the hospital? I don't know. Did someone take you there? Or I'm assuming. Just saw you freaking out. And... I'm assuming. Yeah. <laughs> Come to think of it, that's my brother. Not a lot of people know about that. Hey, Nicholas. It's all right. We can edit this part out. How was your day? Hi there. I'm Logan. Logan. Nice to meet you. Just go upstairs, okay, buddy? No, he. Um, he's also an inspiration to me, my yeah. brother. Big inspiration. Why's that? Um, he's so mature for his age. And like I said, man. Is he like 15, 14? He's 15. 15. In the eighth grade. And, um, he, he'll always have a special place in my heart. Like if I win the lottery, I'd give him like half. I would, man. But I wouldn't give it to him. Like I, I keep it for him. Because he would like, holy. He goes up to the corner store like four times a day uh -huh. and gets like Diet Pepsi. I'm like, you know, just because it's diet doesn't mean it's good for you. <laughs> That's hilarious. But yeah. That's um, pretty smart decision making for a 15 year old. Yeah. Get the Diet Pepsi. <laughs> Took me till 25 to do that. And I'm 24. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So drugs were a very big part of my life, man. 
not that I was using them, but I was around them. I watched people do them. I'd stand outside school parking lots and these guys would be smoking cigarettes and I'd be like passing to people and like, you know, two bucks for a single cigarette. All right, here, 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 here. The teachers would get some. I'm like, Mr. Um, Mr. Uh, Baruslian or whatever his name was, right? I was like, uh, what, are you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing? He's like, I have cigarette from young man. I'm like, okay, cool, man. <laughs> he was Russian. And he's like, get you tomorrow, broski. I'm like, all right, Borat. See you later, buddy. And um, yeah, that was my life. And the foster parents didn't really care about me. So I was always out. And I'd come home later in the evening. And yeah, I sheltered it. Did they ever call you on it or anything? No. Because you would have been sober, so it's not like... Oh, God, yeah. You smell like tobacco smoke, maybe, but I lots of people smelled, do. but not, you know, lots of people do. So were, like, the people you hung out with, did they pressure you much, or were they just kind of like, yeah, you can hang out with Declan, we don't care? I was very thankful because, you know, <laughs> funnily enough, they were nice guys. Yeah. They were really nice guys. Are. They were just very, very, very deep into a hole, mm-hmm. man. They really were. And... I don't feel bad, but I, because to each their own, but I am very happy that I had the opportunity to see them, man, I, because they made up my life. They really did, right? Like, we can think of COVID-19. It actually turned one today, if you didn't notice. November oh, yeah. 17th was the first patient zero. And I saw a post, and it was like, happy birthday, COVID. You've changed my life forever. And... You know, when you think about it, it has. And good or bad things arise, but they change. They do change your life for better and worse. Mm-hmm. These guys did some traumatic shit. And for those that aren't here today, they really scared me. But you know what? I moved on, and it made me a better person. May they rest in peace, because they were nice guys, you know? And they were nice girls. And it's funny, because you don't really know how deep you're in until you see somebody overdose. And then you're like, yeah, holy man. This is crazy, right? So you've seen that. So you've seen that, man. I mean, you've seen that. I have seen that. Yeah. I have seen that. Not as much as some people, but um, I've seen it. And what, I, goes, I, what goes through your head with that? Um, I'm trying to remember because I really don't. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I was very scared. Yeah. Because you wouldn't be in the moment. I like was like, call an ambulance, call an ambulance, yeah. call an ambulance. My phone's out of service. My phone's dead. Um, well, what are we going to do? I don't know, man. Give him mouth to mouth resuscitation. I'm not, he's, I'm not kissing him. He's foaming at the mouth. Right. We pick him up, throw him in the sieve, drive to the hospital. Thank God he's all right. But it wasn't like that for everyone, man. And, um, so a message to the people who think that they should do drugs because it's cool. I've been there. It's not. It really isn't. What what got you away from that? What made you realize that it's not, not God, so cool? God. I'm going to be God. Um, I was in a car in Charlottetown. We were on our way to do Molly. I've never done Molly before. And I felt this urge to get out of the car. It was a red light down on um, Grafton Street and I got out of the car at a red light walked away not two hours later I got a phone call from my friend and he's like 
yo, are you with blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, why? And he's like, um, check the news. I turn on the radio and it's like, three men arrested for stolen vehicle and possession of um, narcotics. I would have been jailed if, because there was a road check. So it's like a random police check. Mm-hmm. And um, that's God. That's 100% God working for you. I've been in car crashes. I've been behind the wheel of people who were under the influence. And I'm standing here today. That's not luck. That's God. You know? I've seen some shit. I've recovered from it. I don't think about it. That's God. Works in mysterious ways. And I um always be thankful for that. What is God to you? What is God? To- wow. Yeah. That's a question and a half, man. God to me is a lifestyle. Christianity is a lifestyle. So yours is a Christian God. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm a Christian. Which denomination, if you don't mind my asking? Um Or do you give a shit? I don't care, man. I'm not a Catholic. That's all there. I'm not a Catholic. I'm a Christian. Um, the Catholics would say you're not a Christian. <laughs> Protestant? Is that it? Yeah. If that, you're not a Catholic, you're a Protestant. Not necessarily. It's basically any of the reform Christianity yeah. movements that came after. If you're not Orthodox or Catholic, you're probably a Protestant. Yeah. I am. But because we, our, my church I go to is Summerside Community Church. Yeah. That'd be a Protestant one. Community. I feel a community is, you know, a community is multiple people joining together and, you know, different ethnicities, races, and religions. Um, God, to me, is a lifestyle. I live in his lifestyle. I try and be the best person I can be. And I fail. But forgiveness is the biggest thing. You know? People are like, you don't go to church every Sunday. You're not a Christian. I worship God. A church is not a place. It's the people who go to the church. You really think the Sunday service is going to make sense when there's no people there? Mm-hmm. But the one chick who's there and she's like, oh my God, you don't go to church every Sunday. You're not a Christian. You're an atheist. You don't read the Bible every day. You're an atheist. Hey, lady. Oops. Like, I'm a Christian. I've been saved by Jesus. I've been baptized three times. And every single day I wake up and I'm like, beautiful God, thank you. I think it's kind of a Christian thing to not be super judgy about other people's right, practices man. too, or supposed to be. I'm pretty sure Jesus was pretty non judgmental. Do you know who we hung out with? Anybody. Yeah, tell me about who we hung out with. They weren't exactly Lepers, the yeah, tax evaders, not the bourgeois ruling right? class. No, they weren't the you know strawberries and cream kind of people. No, they were the, the guys that were hallucinating in the desert. And they were like, "Come with me. I'm gonna walk on water. You gonna believe in me? I make blind people see. I make paraplegics walk." So does that kind of work appeal to you? The kind Absolutely. of stuff that I like to say I have the gift of healing. Um, because I can remember I was at the Rock Church at a, um, fucking fridge. I was at the Rock Church in, um, Halifax for this something called Shiloh Fest. And, um, this was two years ago. We had a great time. An amazing time. And we, I, I saved somebody there. I really did. 
I um he w- he had a uh, some neck pain, and there was a bone like missing, not missing but sticking out. He did something. Parker was there. Parker Murray was there, and um somebody that I won't name because they don't go to the church anymore. We're just sitting in a circle outside in a parking lot praying for this guy, and I put my hand on his neck right here where it hurt. And I felt the um I felt the bone move. And I heard a or a snap or something. I'm like, did I kill him? No, I saved him. <laughs> Is he dead? And I open my eyes and he's there looking directly at me like this far away. And he's like, It doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> I'm like, no way. He's like, Yeah, man. I'm like, and he starts twirling his neck around. I'm like, wow, amen. Amen. And um no, that conference really got me in touch with God. That was two summers ago. Holy Christ, literally. Um, there's this guy, his name's Andy Dooley. He's sponsored by Reebok, and he's a personal trainer. He's also a Christian. They live in North Carolina with his wife, Tiffany. They spoke, and it was amazing. His wife spoke, and I was in the front of like 4,000 people, and it was just a surge of God working through people. My friend, um, my best friend, guaranteed, Josiah Shea. He was he was in the back. He's a very good. He's a he's a Christian, but he's a very relaxed Christian. And I went up to him. I gave him a hug, and I'm like, "Wow!" And from there on, I was very entitled to being the best Christian I can be. So, what does being the best Christian you could be? What does that mean to you? And are you doing it? Are you able to do it? I'm able to do it. Can I do it? Sure. Am I doing it? No. I want to be to the point where I know that I am going to heaven. <laughs> right? Can you, can you ever know that, though? No. So, I can't... The best Christian would be life without sin. That's the best Christian. And no one can be that. In my eyes, I'm living for God the best of my ability. I swear, you know. Do you think he cares about that? If you don't forgive, and I do forgive. But, I mean, people swear. And I know people are in heaven who swear. My grandfather, holy crap, he would swear all the time. In the little time that I knew him, we had this thing called Dollar in the Swear Jar. <laughs> we met him. Whole dollar whole dollar what do you think it was a nickel yeah man my swear jar be overflowing with dollars oh <laughs> uh, well no we had a it was like dollar in the swear jar and he like 15 times he'd say fuck shit bitch son of a god uh, and i'm like dollar in the swear jar and he'd be like all right he was very firm person we called him grandpa jingle i don't know why he's a grandpa jingle down in the swear jar and he looked at me he's like how about this, that one? How about dollar in the annoying jar? Every time you piss me off, I take one of your toys and smash it in front of you. And I turn to my dad and I'm like, I don't like Grandpa Jingle anymore. But um, it was the character you loved from him and you wanted to see that from him. But yeah, Christianity is something that I live for every day. I am... Um, I say the Lord's Prayer before I go to sleep. Yeah. I have. You say grace? 
I say grace every meal. We say grace that my family is together. We say grace. I've always found that a useful practice, even secular. Yep. Like I, I I used to do it a lot more. Uh, just like I said, a secular grace. Just thank basically the animals that went into this and the the animal sacrifice and the human labor Jesus, and the opportunity yeah. to have it. Usually, yeah. Jesus, thank you for this food and the hands that prepared it. Amen. Yeah, something like that. So, what about doubt and tests to your faith? Do you find it hard to always kind of see the light? What you might call the true path? Absolutely. And that's the beauty of Christianity. We aren't meant to know what's happening and how it happens. We aren't meant to know when we're supposed to do this, do this. What we are allowed to do and we're not. All we know is what's in the Bible. That's why people read it. But some people think it's a rule book. And they have to follow it to a T or else they're going to hell. The Bible is not a rule book. The Bible is a story and it's an artwork form. But it is also a rule book. It is. But, you know, in the Old Testament, it says don't drink. So people think that you shouldn't drink. But if you read it, it says drinking is okay. Drunkenness is not. Yeah. It's the excess. It's Yes. Drinking is okay. Drunkenness is not. You know? Like, there's a difference between, you know, swearing and committing adultery. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it kind of outweighs itself. So there's a, um, there's a big difference there. And we have, a, um, we have a very big population of people in my church who believe that they are held to a higher standard than everybody else because they read the Bible every single day mm-hmm. and they follow it to a T. When they don't, because you're not supposed to judge, and they judge like crazy. Like, seems like every time I put out an article, somebody's on my ass. You're a Christian. You're supposed to believe in freedom of speech, right? Not even just because you're a Christian, because you're a human, mm-hmm. right? Let's get to the basics here, because you're a human created by God. To let me have an opinion, whether you think it's right or not, is up to you. You mean like, what do you mean by an article? Um, when I was going to go to Belgium, um, I did an article. Well, I mean, I'm still going. But when I was supposed to, like like before COVID, BC, um, <laughs> we had an uh, article come out. And I um, it was about my life. Like in the paper? Yeah, in the Journal Pioneer. You can yeah. probably find it. I think I read it. Yeah, but um, no, not the one with my with the guitar. I read a couple. Oh, awesome! Uh, the one me did some homework. <laughs> Good. Uh, there's not much actually. There might be on um, the blue T-shirt where I'm holding up the sign, the fifty-fifty draw. We had a um, some backlash from the foster care system, not the system, sorry, the families because of what I said, what the truth was, and they didn't like the truth. And a lot of Christians who didn't know who, what to believe were like, oh my God, you can't say that. Why? Because it's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because it is. Give me a justifiable reason why I'm not allowed to tell people what happened. Why am I allowed? Why I can't say things that are meant to be said, but people don't like hearing it, mm-hmm. but it needs to be said. 
Tell me where in the Bible it says that I cannot express my feelings because you don't like it. And that's where I draw the line. So yeah, there's backlash. But um, I respect everybody. No matter what race, religion you are, I will respect you. And that's all we have for part two. Declan's story isn't over, but in the meantime, here's the progress report. This is the bi-weekly breakdown of what I've been learning at OJT. While I didn't take the whole week off from producing new episodes, I have been trying to do the holiday thing in the midst of a minor Crohn's flare-up. I am not a natural when it comes to relaxing. I've talked before about being something of a workaholic. Well, I know how much of a problem that can be, and I was starting to feel some burnout just before we left school for break. I'm happiest when I'm doing something. There's a few reasons for this, but a lot of it comes from living with a permanent disability. Crohn's disease has stopped me from doing so many things that, when I can do them, I find it hard to stop myself. I also just have a lot of interests, and I love to learn. All the time. Still, I've been determined to rediscover my chill. It's going okay. While I'm doing better the past few days, the holidays began with a nice one-two combo of noticing that Crohn's flare-up and getting a cold on the first day off. Once the COVID test came back negative and I could leave the house, I still wasn't feeling much like doing anything. My favorite thing to do for fun is cooking, but Crohn's symptoms don't pair well with nausea and abdominal pain. So I reevaluated my holiday plans. I can cook, will have to cook, my whole life, I realized. So it doesn't matter how much I do now. The key is just to chill. The last time I saw my doctor, he told me stress management was about all there was left for me until I get another scope this January. I've tried most of the medications and had a couple surgeries. While I don't find it calming to be basically told, relax or Crohn's will destroy you, I'm giving it the old college try. Or rather, the old high school try. High school Logan was a master of r and I've been playing a bit of a guitar, though not as vigorously as high school Logan. My calluses are pretty soft these days, so I can't do too many folk punk jams. And that's not exactly chill, anyway. On Christmas Day, I started to feel better. I'm pretty sure it had more to do with CBD than JC, but I'm definitely on the mend. At least with this round. It always comes back. As of this writing, I still have a week off before the final semester of J-School, and I'm enjoying myself now. I finally cooked all day recently, breadsticks and pasta sauce, and recently I saw James Brown, the stand-up comedy host from episode one. Everyone relaxes in a different way, and while I think I have found what makes me tick, I don't think I've found what lets me stop. Not yet. You can follow Declan Rockwell on Instagram at Declan Rockwell, or find him at the Boys and Girls Club in Summerside, where he's helping set up a new recording studio for club kids. Declan also wanted me to shout out Parker Murray for producing his EP, Isolation. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at OJT underscore podcast and on Twitter at OJT podcast. The Facebook page is OJT on the job training. You can follow me on Instagram at logan.mclean.75 and on Twitter at loganmclean94. And finally, listeners, please check out my website, ojtpod.ca, for written stories and photography. The podcast is available there and on all major streaming platforms. Please rate and subscribe and leave a review. Everything helps when getting a podcast off the ground. And if you like this show and want more interesting guests, listener feedback is the best way to help me reach new people and make that happen. This has been OJT on the job training. I'm Logan McLean. Thank you for listening.